Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 19? The greater context here deals with the rebellion a couple of chapters earlier. And then right after that, because in the rebellion, there was a, um, a rather cavalier approach to the priesthood and apparently a, a, a plan, a plot to use the priesthood in a way that uh, was not prescribed in the law. Apparently, people had become a little too accustomed to life in the camp and life with the priests and the Levites. So then, after God dealt with that, and again, established Moses and Aaron as spiritual leaders, then revisited the definition of priests and Levites, the difference of them, the importance of them, and how it was God who appointed and ordained this tribe and this family, Aaron's family, into the priesthood and into the Levitical priesthood. And it wasn't something flippant that man could define on his own and and approach on his own. So after the rebellion and the judgment of the rebellion, Yahweh revisits the definition of the priesthood and the Levites. So this is still in the general context of that as we come to Numbers 19 and the Laws of purification. God's requirement is that those who are His stand in His presence as pure. We, it's very evident all the way through the law and especially here in Numbers 19 that, that we are not pure in and of ourselves. So there has to be a defined cleansing in the case of the Old Testament, a ritualistic cleansing. The, another expanded definition of how people can be cleansed and for what they are cleansed is here in Numbers 19, the Old Testament people. Now, the subject matter you would think when you read Numbers 19, that you would think that the major subject is the red heifer. But it's not really. The, 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 the main subject is the horrible condition of death because death, the contamination of death is at the center of Numbers 19 
and the ritual of cleansing that involved the ashes of the red heifer, the red cow. Death is an enemy. Another thing it would seem that as the issue of death is, is sort of revisited here because earlier back over in Leviticus, for example, in defining the priesthood and so forth, Yahweh pointed out that the priesthood would have to be uh, separate and remain separate from dead bodies, even the body of a mother and a father. Uh, they had to take care to maintain purity when it came to touching something dead, especially a dead person. Now, that requirement moves through some of what was behind all of this uh, rebellion that is a cavalier approach to the priesthood. And then, again, to tell people what a horrible thing death is. Death was not in the original equation in the creation of man and the creation of all things. Um, there was a simple warning, you will remember, regarding the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a simple command. It was a simple law. The only law they had. Uh, now they had the command to procreate. They had the command to replenish the earth, to fill the earth. But the only negative command they had was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the curse of disobedience was immediately declared because when you eat of that, you will surely die. Now this death, of course, included physical death, but it also included, in a sense, spiritual death in that it separated, it separated man from his creator and something had to happen and it was initiated by the creator because man could have never... Uh, covered that chasm himself God had to come to him he couldn't go to God he was just in a state of death he began to physically die and the earth began to physically die in the sense that it, it was producing thorns and thistles um, and all these bad things begin to happen uh, because of sin and death was imposed so Adam and Eve did not die immediately, but they did die physically, but they did die spiritually and became separate, and God had to come to man. You perhaps will recall how Yahweh came seeking man. Adam, where are you? And, it, and Adam was hiding. So Paul writes to the Romans and he says, We don't, no man seeks after God. This is not in the nature of fallen man to seek after God. Now, it is in our nature to make up a God or to make ourselves God. But it is not in our nature 
in our fallen state to seek after God. God seeks after us. So here's this terrible state of death. It is an enemy. It is a curse. And only God can teach us how his people can deal with death and how we should understand that he, through his word, his command, and his way, his plan, his purpose, he can deliver us from the uncleanness, from the defilement of death. Death is a terrible thing. We, we get a little numb to physical death because we, we, we have to face it all the time. We, we live in a realm of, of uh, life that ends in death. Dying is part of living. And we're always reading of how people die. We're always attending funerals. We're always having to try to comfort people who are dealing with death in their families or with the prospect of death in their physical bodies. It's a terrible thing. It's an enemy. It's the last time an enemy that will be destroyed. It will be death. How flippant were these people in Israel with regard to death? Well, Yahweh takes the issue of death and man's dealing with death and how, well, not just man, but his people. His people dealing with death. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews compares what Christ does with what the red heifer means here, the ashes of the red heifer. And the relation is that what Christ does is forever. It's once for all. They had to keep doing this back then, but Christ provides himself uh, to purify us, to cleanse us, to deliver us from the horror of death, the reality of death, the stench of death, the defilement of death. So God's people were made to understand how unclean death is. It's, a, it's an unclean thing. They weren't supposed to touch a dead body, not even a, a bone of a dead human. We'll see that here in the laws of purification, this particular law that is given in Numbers 19. So it deals with the ashes of the red heifer or the red cow. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the statute of the Torah, which Yahweh commanded saying, speak to the sons of Israel and have them take for you a perfectly red, unblemished cow. Now that's an interesting Hebrew. We're not going to get into it deeply other than just to say that it's a, it's, this is one thing. There's several things that are different about this particular sacrifice. The first thing is that the color of the sacrifice is defined. That's not given in any other sacrifice. The, the color of the sacrifice didn't really matter. It just had to be an unblemished sacrifice. Here, it had to first of all be red. Secondly, unblemished, of course. And thirdly, it had to be a cow. Now, the term for cow here has often been translated heifer. As I understand it, a heifer is a virgin cow. It has never calved. Is that a verb? 
It's never had a child, not a child, a, a calf, thank you. <laughs> a bovine baby. Um, so apparently that's what the word means. There's a little disagreement, but it for sure is a female. Now that's different from the other sacrifices, which are to be male. Red, unblemished, which is common to the others, and female, cow, upon which no yoke has been laid. So it can never have been used for servitude. And you shall give it to Eliezer the, the priest. Now here's another thing that's different. Eliezer is the son of Aaron. Why not Aaron? We'll talk about that here. And he shall take it outside the camp and slaughter it in his presence. Now there, there is a difference between slaughter and sacrifice. There's also a difference here in that Eliezer the priest, not Aaron the high priest, Aaron obviously is forbidden from doing this, number one, because he might accidentally come in contact with something that would make him ritually unclean, and that would be a very difficult thing. And number two, the orders of the high priest was he wasn't to leave the tabernacle grounds. So it's appointed then, this task is appointed to Eliezer, the priest. And he shall take it outside the camp. No other sacrifice is given outside the camp. These other ones are given at the altar and all of that's there inside the, inside the tabernacle walls, but not this one. This one is taken outside the camp, so that's another difference. Then it's slaughtered and not just sacrificed. It was, it was killed, but the blood wasn't drained from it. You know, the, the blood, the, there are a lot of, ritual, there are a lot of uh, commands about the blood of a sacrifice. In this case, the slaughtered cow would not be drained of its blood. Now, it would bleed, apparently cut the neck or something, and, and the priest would have to do something with regard to that blood, but it wasn't bled out. It would keep most of its blood as a slaughtered animal. So this animal outside the camp is slaughtered in the presence of Eliezer. Now all of this is different. This is something that's unique in itself and it's not seen like this anywhere else because it is dealing with this awful common condition that is unclean to us and defiles us this condition of death. So, the uncleanness of death, the curse of death, is dealt with by God in behalf of his people. Thus he gives this law. Now, Eliezer the priest shall take from its blood with his finger and sprinkle it toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times toward the tabernacle. So they're outside the camp. Way over there's the tabernacle. Blood's kind of oozing from the neck. He'll, he'll take some seven times and he'll sprinkle it toward the tabernacle. He does that seven times, the number of completion. The cow shall then be burned in his presence. It's hide, it's flesh, its blood with its dung, he shall burn it. Whatever is in its stomach, 
whatever is in its intestines stays there. He doesn't, you don't, you don't clean it like you would a, an animal that you're hunting. You leave it all together. It is the uncleanness of death, this red heifer. So you burn the whole thing. You just throw the whole thing on the fire. It's hide, flesh, blood, and everything that's in its innards, including its dung. The priest shall take a piece of cedar wood, hyssop and crimson wool, and cast them into the burning of the cow. Okay. The, uh, the traditional writings for the priesthood say, now this is not in the Bible, but this is, these are the traditions that were, have been followed for centuries a piece of hyssop covered with cedar wood and then tied, surrounded with a piece of crimson wool cloth. And that bundle would be cast into the burning where the, where the red heifer is burning. Now, the burning of the red heifer without a white, all red hair, all red. Most of its blood is still within it. You know the color of blood. The color of these particular uh, elements would have added to the redness of the ashes. Apparently the ashes would have been more red tinted than any other ashes. So there's a difference here about the ashes completely burned up, everything about it. The priest shall wash his garments and bathe his flesh in water and then he may enter the camp and the priest shall be unclean until evening. So, well, let's keep going and I'll reference back. The one who burns it shall wash his clothes. The priest didn't burn it. The priest would oversee the action. Someone else would do all of this burning. But the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, cleanse his body in water, and he shall be unclean until evening. A ritually clean person shall gather the cow's ashes and place them outside the camp in a clean place. And it shall be as a keepsake for the congregation of the sons of Israel for sprinkling water used for cleansing. It is said that in the history of Israel, during their time of both the tabernacle and the temple, only nine red heifers were ever slaughtered and burned and its ashes kept. The point being that the heap of ashes would last a long time. So it would be kept uh, in a clean place and whenever some ashes were needed for ritualistic cleansing, some of the ashes could be retrieved and mixed with water for the purpose of cleansing. Now, I don't know if that number nine is true or not, but if you, if you follow anything in the 
writings these days and the news of, of modern Israel, you will know that those who are seeking to rebuild the third temple are scouring the world for uh, a red heifer. I read an article in preparation for this this past week. I believe the year was 2018. That in 2018, a red heifer was birthed in Israel. So they've been going around the world, I guess, collecting the, the purest red cattle that they could gather and apparently have come up with at least one. They've examined it, searched it, examined it. At every stage of growth, it continues to show nothing but red in its, uh, in its, coat, in its fur, in its hair, coat, hide. So the point is that the red heifer was sort of a rare thing. It, well, you just didn't find them everywhere. Apparently, when they found one along the way in their history, they would be sure and separate it and slaughter it and keep its ashes so that they would always have a, a store of ashes of the red heifer available for the purpose of purification. Now, that's just an aside that's kind of interesting. The one who gathers... The cow's ashes shall wash his clothes. He'll be unclean until evening. It shall be an everlasting statute for the sons of Israel and for the proselyte who resides in their midst. Now, now what, is this, what is this all about, you know? Well, here it is. Anyone touching the corpse of a human soul shall become unclean for seven days. On the third and seventh days, he shall cleanse himself with it. That is with these ashes of the red heifer so that he can become clean. But if he does not sprinkle himself with it on the third and seventh days, he shall not become clean. Whoever touches the corpse of a human soul which dies and he does not cleanse himself, he has defiled the tabernacle of Yahweh. And that soul shall be cut off from Israel for the sprinkling water was not sprinkled on him, so he remains unclean, and his uncleanness remains upon him. This was a grievous breach, a terrible sin. When someone in the camp, whether an Israelite or a proselyte, did not do what was required for cleansing once he came in contact with death, death is a horrible thing. And God's people should understand that death is the curse that has fallen upon the human race because of sin. Prior to the sin of Adam and Eve, prior to that time, there was no death. Death has come by the proclamation of God, by the judgment of God. And God's people know that we have to do everything we can do to be favorably in the presence of God so that we are purified from death, from the defilement of death. 
from the horrors of death. Now, this is different. You can compare this with other religions of the day. A proselyte graciously was permitted to also, if he was a believer in Yahweh, he also was permitted the cleansing, the ritual cleansing from the, from the defilement of, of death, from the touching of something dead. And other religions did not permit this. Outside people, outside the nation just simply couldn't come and worship their particular God in their particular nation. God, however, reveals his intention here that he will, he will deal with the problem of death for whoever, whoever comes for the cleansing from the defilement of death. This is something that the rebels didn't, and, the, and of course they've been judged and sent down to Sheol. And the other multitudes of Israel who either were a little bit favorable to what they were saying or took no stand, they, they, they also had become oblivious to the defilement of death and what an important thing it is to deal with death. Now, here, the third and the seventh days are the days when he shall cleanse himself with it so that he can become clean. So he had to take water and mix with it the ashes of the red heifer and thus with this particular sprinkling, this particular cleansing, he would be cleansed. And if he didn't take care for the sprinkling water to be sprinkled upon him with the ashes of the red heifer, look, he was cut off from Israel. He wasn't part of them anymore. He was not part of the people of God anymore if he didn't deal with the curse and the defilement of Israel. Again, I say, in the book of the Hebrew, of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews points out that Christ does the same thing. In reality, what was done ritualistically here, only what Christ has done is forever. Now, let me tell you how Christ, how Christ comes into this. The Bible teaches us that we are washed by the water of the word. So the water here is representative of the cleansing power of the word as it is applied by the Holy Spirit. But the task of cleansing cannot be completed until the blood is applied, namely the blood of Christ. So the word of God leads us to the power, the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and thus compelled to come to that sprinkling, to come to that cleansing 
We are delivered from the curse of death. This is, to me, the teaching that is being made here. If the sprinkling water was not sprinkled on him, he remains unclean. What a horrible thing to remain unclean. And his uncleanness remains upon him. So we, we look finally in closing out this study on the special rules of purification. Rules of purification. This is the law. Now it extends beyond, you know, you have all kind of questions. Everybody, everybody walks around with a question mark on their faces and they always complicate things. Well, what if the guy's dead here? What if I happen to stumble across a bone of a guy that, okay, it's covered. This is the law. If a man dies in a tent, anyone entering the tent and anything in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. Any open vessel which has no seal fastened around it becomes unclean. Let's face it. You go into a tent, the guy's been dead for a while, and he has an open jar of mayonnaise there. You don't want to use that mayonnaise, right? I don't. Anyone who touches one slain by the sword or a corpse or a human bone or a grave in an open field, he should be unclean for seven days. Now, that pretty much covers it. If you go in his house, to be in his house makes you unclean. If you're not in his house, but you stumble on a human bone, you're unclean. You happen to trip across a guy that died in a war and he was slain by a sword, you're unclean. You touch a corpse in any way, you're unclean. Unclean for seven days that you may be taught the curse of death. The uncleanness of death unless you are delivered by the power of God through his word. They shall take for that unclean person the ashes of the burnt purification offering. That's the, that's the red cow. It should be placed in a vessel filled with spring water. So the water is mixed with these ashes, which are red, and they're, of course, mindful the blood was in there. A ritually clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it into the water and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the vessels and on the people who were in it and on anyone who touched the bone, the slain person, the corpse, or the grave. The ritually clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean person on the third and seventh day, and he shall cleanse him on the seventh day, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water, and he shall become ritually clean in the evening. Now, this is not like a sin offering. This is, this is something really to assist the people. Number one, to teach them the horror of death. And of course, number two, how to be purified from the curse of death. But not just that, it's made simple here. It would be a very expensive and, and time-consuming thing if every time somebody touched a corpse or happened upon a place in a tent or wherever where there was a corpse and they had to bring, let's say, a sin offering, that would be a very expensive thing. It would be very time-consuming. So God says, in showing you 
the curse of death by taking it outside the camp and teaching you how to be ritualistically clean from the defilement of death, I'm also going to show you that this kind of deliverance from the curse of death is something that isn't difficult at all. The worst part of it was to try to find a red heifer. That which delivers us from the curse of death is rare indeed. Of course, for us, only the Son of God. So then, instead of going through the system of sacrifices, the ashes, carry those ashes with you, keep it outside the tent, keep it in a place that's separate and everybody knows where it is. When the time comes and you need to be ritualistically cleansed from the defilement of death, take a little of it and mix it with spring water and be ritualistically cleansed. Third day, seventh day, you're taken care of. The importance of being delivered from the curse of death in the lives of God's people. If a person becomes unclean and does not clean him, cleanse himself, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation for he has defiled the sanctuary of Yahweh. The sprinkling waters were not sprinkled upon him. He's unclean. This shall be for them as a perpetual statute. And the one who sprinkles the sprinkling waters shall wash his clothes. And one who touches the sprinkling waters shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean one touches shall become unclean. And anyone touching him shall be unclean until evening. This curse of death is unchecked, moving from person to person, yet all still can be cleansed under the ritual provided by God. To me, there's perhaps not a more beautiful illustration of Christ's deliver, delivering us from the curse of death than this Leviticus 19 and the account of the ashes of the red heifer. We'll be through tonight. Let's pray together. We'll be done. Father God in heaven, Lord, we marvel at how you have taken care to deliver us from the curse of death. That you gave your only begotten son, the rarest of all, who died for our sins. Bless us, Lord, in this thought of how we are delivered from the curse of death through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.